two years ago, my New Year's resolution was to only buy secondhand items for a whole year. Fifteen Depop orders later, I quickly realized that even if I was saving the planet, I wasn't saving any money. Earlier last month, Patagonia transferred all of its profits to the fight against climate change. And in 2021, the secondhand market displaced nearly one billion new clothing purchases that normally would have been bought firsthand. Thrifting is old, literally. But is it going somewhere new? People could thrift a shirt for like $2 and resell it for like 40 I mean, that kind of doesn't sit right. I love thrifting and every single thing I'm wearing right now is from Goodwill. I also run the Tar Heel Threads account. I was wondering. Okay. So I'm like jumping on the opportunity to tell people about thrifting and to promote thrifting on campus. I feel like um, it's a privilege to thrift because to thrift you have to have a lot of extra time, a lot of extra money and like be able to have the resources to kind of like sift through clothes. Uh, but I just, I feel like the rumors customer is someone who can appreciate other people's personalities. The alternative appeal of thrift shopping has always relied in its continued stigmatization. Welcome to, or welcome back to Pit Perspectives. As always, I'm your host, Jillian. Pitt Perspectives is a student-run podcast aimed at building a sense of understanding in the UNC student body by sharing candid, anonymous student opinions on important social topics. We are excited to bring you a new semester of opinions, history, philosophy, statistics, and commentary. Whether this is your first episode or you've been with us since last fall, we hope you take the next hour of your time to reflect on your place within the campus culture here in Chapel Hill as we challenge you to question how you engage with today's topic, thrifting. We're going to start by taking a look at thrifting here in Chapel Hill. Then you're in for a ride through the ethical twists and turns of shopping secondhand, shopping in general, and reselling. Chapel Hill, at least for students, has long been centered around finding that 1982 March Madness t-shirt with sweat stains and an aura of athletic greatness, or a new Carolina blue sweatshirt that is somehow different from your other five just because it's vintage. For example, take Frat Court Flea, a vintage pop-up market started by two UNC alumni. Frat Court Flea brings independent vintage vendors from across the triangle to UNC's Frat Court for an afternoon of thrifting, mostly old Carolina apparel. Um, I think it's cool that they bring thrifting to college campuses and that it relates to like old school gear, so it helps the school spirit. Frat Court Flea exemplifies just a thread of the wide range of thrifty behavior the reselling of old clothing, sometimes or often sourced from already secondhand stores. This is the type of thrifting found in consignment stores or vintage boutiques, where the items are valuable exactly because they are old or worn, and prices are more reflective of brands and styles. 
Lucky for UNC students, we have access to more than just old Tar Heel gear. We also have rumors. The vintage and secondhand clothing store located right off Franklin Street, nestled between Beer Study and Brandwine's Bagels, sells more than just school spirit. They buy old clothing, rather than using a donation system like that found at a Goodwill, and they cater their selection to the season and the audience. But what most UNC students don't know about rumors is its storied past, going deeper than cowboy boots and corduroys. You know, the, the night was wild. Um, the buildings, some buildings were caught on fire. Uh, our windows were busted out. Uh, people came in our store. Um, it was uh, hell on the streets. I mean, it was terrifying. You are hearing from Marche Weish, the face and brain behind the store. Okay, uh, my name is Marche Weish. Uh, I am uh, the co-owner of Rumors Boutique. I started it with my best friend uh, in 2007 when we were 22 or 23 years old. Uh, and I've dedicated my life to it and to uh, building art communities um, and to just being really involved and helping people feel safe inside themselves. In June of 2020, Marche found herself inside the Richmond location of Rumors on the city's Black Wall Street in the neighborhood of Jackson Ward. As marchers and protesters gathered outside, filled with pain, frustration, and anger, following the murder of George Floyd. There is people in their buildings screaming, please don't destroy our business, please don't hurt our business. Like, like I'm a black, this is a black owned business. You know, I've had to like, I had to live in this store before, you know, it's my only, it's only been my, it's been my only safe place my whole life. Uh, and then it's taken away from you in one moment. Um, but for me, it wasn't my, the, the same people trying to throw a brick were stopped by hundreds and hundreds of hands before one actually went through. Um, but yeah, it was a lot uh, to just like, have to like, every person you've been, like comes up and you have to have a conversation with yourself, especially as a, as a black woman, a punk black woman, like someone who was like, got expelled from school for inciting riots, you know, to high school when they tried to take away our senior rights, you know, like, I was like, no, like we deserve our own parking spaces and we deserve to go to New York on our trip. And you can't take stuff away from us because of other people. But for me, like, sadly, the life I've lived, you know, makes you kind of understand all the levels. But the next morning, the city showed, it was like the city was on a tour, like an outside art tour of viewing the ruins of our lives for all the business owners. After her storefront was damaged, Marche found herself taken care of in the hands of the Richmond community, mainly other women and small business owners. Similarly for Marche, Rumors itself is a labor of love for the community and a testament to her devotion as a business owner. Uh, and so when we came up with the idea to open a store, nobody believed us at all. And so it was like, oh, there's rumors these girls are gonna open a store. I heard this rumor that you think you can open a store, that you too can do it. And uh, yeah, we made it true, kind of shoved it down their throats. <laughs> um, I lived in our actual stores for the first like eight or nine years of us being open, like living in the stores. And these stores don't have like showers 
our proper kitchens, you know, you're just going to the gym to take care of yourself. Um, and like moving around to when you open new stores, moving around and living in that store until you generate enough money to get a manager. For Marche and her business partner, Casey, thrifting was a natural outlet for them to take care of themselves, those around them, and the planet we live on. Like my family doesn't see me as like very important in that way. Like they're like, oh, your sister's a lawyer. And then you dig through trash bags to, to, to make money. Uh, but I like, and then, then a lot of people just see me as someone who recycles. I'm just like, oh yeah, I flip millions of dollars. I keep them, um, or millions of items out of the uh, landfill. What we wanted was for our community to feel safe and to lock that in. Cause it's just little things stop depression for people. Little things make cities so good. Like having one art program can create bands in your city for 20, 30 years. But if you don't start that program, it's your fault. There's nothing to do and go to. And when you find a community where it's just like all these generations of wonderful people especially right on like a college campus because all of our stores are on college campuses where it's just you have this like youth and exuberance that kind of fuel us to work harder uh, but I just I feel like the rumors customer is someone who can appreciate other people's personalities as well as their own there's someone who knows that you can you can switch it out you don't have to just be one person, one thing, one belief, one image. You can literally peel yourself off, sell it, and then put another you on and just switch it out back and forth while appreciating people's chillness, while also giving yourself a reason why to spend that little bit of extra money on this item that you really wanted because things that are not made in a sweatshop are more expensive. Uh, I just really feel like it's, it's, a, it's like an artist's mind. I just really feel like it's an artist's mind and it's a thrifty mind. And if you're trying to save money, you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about your present. So the next time you walk into rumors in Chapel Hill or Durham, you already have this new consciousness of the curated space you are entering. But consciousness about our consumption need not stop at the level of the business or business owner, right? I mean, it seems like for those of us that shop at a store like rumors, we're making a decision to buy secondhand, or we're making a decision to support a Black-owned business, or we're making a decision to support a local business, and so on. Especially as college students scared to check our bank account balances, every dollar out of our pockets is a dollar we're giving to some person or some purpose. And this is really easy to overanalyze. The age of infographics, performative activism, and maybe performative academia has lent itself to a tendency for our generation to think that everything we do comes with the side of a Marxist feminist critique. So I think a funny but also insightful question to ask ourselves, to put it colloquially, is, is it that deep? And I actually think it might be. I mean, I think for Marche and Rumors, thrifting is a way of life, a way of being. It's a dedication to community-based events and community care, and it's a form of self-expression. And I think the same is true for students here. So one thing I want to explore today is whether or not we are overthinking when we're making decisions about our consumption. Or on the flip side, 
I guess, if we're underthinking. Okay, so personally, I love thrifting. Um, these shorts are from Goodwill. Um, pretty much everything I wear most of the time is thrifted in some way because I feel like stuff just gets like tossed and like thrown away that can be like recreated into something like better um and like i love putting outfits together and i love like fashion and all that but i really love the idea of taking something old and making it something new but it really helps me like go and like find vintage items and like really express my identity my personality my sexuality um i've actually been thrifting my whole life um at first it was like just you know my uh, money situation, I guess, family situation, but um, I just really enjoy it. I feel like you find unique pieces and um, obviously way better for the environment. Um, and almost all my closet is thrifted. Yeah, I think it's cool for the culture and I uh, am glad to see that um, uh, we're embracing some of our history because some of the fashion of the past was definitely fire. I think that as a society we're wasting so much and I think it's just a part of the simple basic things that we've learned as children. Reuse, reduce, and recycle. This is exactly what thrifting is meant to do and I also think upcycling is also something that needs to be a part of the conversation as well, not just thrifting, um, which I feel like people already kind of do. I think it's a great green initiative that isn't really given much perspective or thought on this kind of just kind of what's trendy now um, but in reality I think it has really good implications especially financially as well we're taking down these big businesses that are probably outsourcing their uh, labor to other countries that really don't need to be um, exploited any further I think it's great in terms of self-expression there are a lot of things that you can find at a thrift store what's up court there's a lot of things that you can find at a thrift store that you might not find um, anywhere else but not only that I feel like it kind of gets rid of the whole social class idea where it's like oh you know when we were kids we used to shame anyone who would shop at like Walmart or Goodwill and now it's just kind of like you're free to shop wherever you want and you don't have to worry about that ridicule um, and yeah I find thrifting really fun I'm a broke college student I really need clothes yeah thrifting just uh, like it really helped me when I was at a point in my life where I didn't have enough money to buy clothes and when I was transitioning that was a necessity um, like when I went thrifting it just felt so comfortable um, I found a lot of nice stuff that I still wear to this day um, and even the stuff that I no longer wear I ended up giving passing on to someone else kind of um, you know, starting that cycle back up again. It's just a, like a decent, a good option for those who don't have the kind of money to splurge on those kind of luxuries. Passionate about thrifting. Actually, for the past year and a half, I have only bought secondhand, um, with the exception of undergarments and shoes, because I feel like for hygienic reasons, that's something I feel pretty strongly about. But I started because I was doing a lot of research about textile waste and the textile industry is actually second in the world um, for carbon emissions only to the oil industry. I'm very pro thrifting. I also run the Tar Heel Threads account. I was wondering. So I'm like jumping on the opportunity to tell people about thrifting and to promote thrifting on campus. Some of the most fun and eccentric pieces I have are thrifted. So I'm like. If you thrift, go you. If you don't, like, grab a buddy, go to Goodwill, just check it out. You'll find some cool stuff, and if not, like, it'll just be, like, a little bonding moment. So, yeah.
And if you're here with us in Chapel Hill, you are in luck. Joining Rumors and Frat Court Flea is Thrift Float, a grassroots campus thrift operation hoping to hit the streets in the upcoming months. Run by students, Thrift Flipped is sympathetic to our wants and needs. But hear from the founder, Ariel, about how Thrift Flipped might be changing the cyclical nature that defines most of our consumption. Um, so for me, sustainability has always been a really big thing, as well as affordable clothing. I, like, thrift all my clothes, and I alter all my clothes, and I really, like, like the whole idea of, like, you can grow with your closet rather than growing out of it. So I really wanted to bring um, thrifting, and not just thrifting, but fashion and sustainability in general to UNC, um, especially because I noticed so many college students here their only option for affordable clothing is things like Shein and Amazon, which have like a really big environmental impact. Um, so I know thrifting is a thing a lot of people like, but it's unfortunately something people leave a lot in high school and because it's no longer accessible without the use of a car. So I just really wanted to bring it here. Thrift Flipped is different from normal thrifting. Um, so this Thrift Flipped actually has kind of two components to it. So obviously there's a thrift, which is like the thrift store and all that kind of stuff. But it also has the flip component kind of um, where you are like where we teach people to alter their clothes or alter their fast fashion pieces because kind of straying away from the consumerism mindset that even permeates in thrifting culture where you feel like you always have to get a new piece and this and that, but really working with what clothes you have and kind of creatively reworking them to fit your needs better. The store is set up to be a nonprofit, with incoming dollars going to a fund set up for students on campus engaging with sustainable business ideas or practices. Because um, we really just want to encourage sustainability at a whole at UNC and do our part in helping everyone, whether it's in another clothing project or whether it's something related to food or this or that. Um, so yeah, that is where our profit will be used. Ariel's store exemplifies the push and pull today's teenagers are faced with every morning, standing in front of their closets trying to decide if today will be the day to defy social pressure to follow trends, or if we will once again suppress our personal sense of style. Social media has done this weird thing that made being trendy the same thing as being different. But as trends change literally overnight, it's almost impossible to even determine what is novel anymore. The notion that we should decide to and can grow with our closets is presupposed by an idea that we outgrow clothing for reasons other than physically getting bigger. Thrifting remedies the struggle to fit in with the struggle to stand out. We relate to one another because we're both wearing secondhand, but interestingly, you might be wearing a pair of Dickies work pants from 1995, and the next person a thrifted Shein tank top made in 2022. The infiltration of fast fashion into thrift stores might be a newer phenomenon, attracting crowds who don't thrift to stand out but thrift to fit in. At the same time, the urge to wear an entire outfit of items first bought 50 years ago is still around but not unique to our generation. Thrifting is made of and found on the fringes of popular culture, though anecdotally it seems that at this moment in time it may be popular culture. So it's worth asking if Gen Z is really doing something innovative. Has the climate crisis produced an unusual consciousness for consumption, or are we in some way radicalized in our critique of late-stage capitalism? 
Or is Goodwill just the new Urban Outfitters? Sometimes I think Gen Z shoppers are ascribing more power to themselves than they actually have for creating the system that already existed. This is Jennifer Lazat. My name is Jennifer Lazat, a history professor and author of the book From Goodwill to Grunge. And I am an associate professor of history and material culture and the director of the public history graduate program at UNC Wilmington. According to her, Gen Z might just be inheriting a cyclical culture of thrifting that has come and gone for over a century. Look, I say this with all sympathy because, again, I was there when I was shopping at the Bargain Box, the Methodist uh, thrift store, when I was 13, and I thought I was inventing this process. And I was finding all the cool polyester crap from the 60s and 70s and creating my own sartorial persona. Me and my friends, we were a group. And then everybody started to do it. I thought it was because of us. It's, it's not. You're not making it up. You're not being that original. So it's possible that we aren't being that original either. The appeal, the alternative appeal of thrift shopping has always relied in its continued stigmatization, right? So the beatniks, they, they, they bought secondhand clothing because their parents would not have, because their peers would not approve of it, because looking like you bought something from a thrift store marked you as different, as outside of mainstream culture, right? Um, the 2013 Macklemore song about thrift shopping, if you parse the lyrics, it's relying on the same thing, right? It's because he's not buying a, a $400 shirt, right? He's being defiant. There's a sort of defiance that makes it appeal to successive generations of young people, right? It has become a pattern of somewhat predictable rebellion. And, and I, I say this having been guilty of the same thing and as somebody who still enjoys thrift shopping. I think we can all understand or relate to generational patterns of cultural rebellion and defiance attached to young people. But how has thrifting become the mode of this expression? So I'm going to go back to the 1890s. In the 1890s is when there starts to be in the United States, especially in cities, uh, more affordable and accessible clothing. There starts to be large-scale production. So what happens then is more people start to get rid of viable clothing. Um, also, because theory of germ theory starts to be more popular among the um, general public. And so middling class, middle class women who maybe would have taken their husband's worn out shirt and made it into their child's pinafore and then shredded that and stuffed furniture with it, they start to see social and sanitation value in donating those items, right? Before this period or around this period, most of the purveyors of secondhand clothing were uh, Jewish pushcart salesmen, right? So in Europe and in the United States, the Jewish diaspora was responsible for selling old clothes predominantly other minority populations as well, but it really was associated with uh, Jewish salesmen. 
And the reason I mentioned that is because that was rather stigmatized because of anti-Semitism. Um, so when Salvation Army and Goodwill start to see um, the proliferation of still viable used items, including clothing, um, they kind of take over that niche of that market and create standalone places that emphasize the sanitation and also emphasize their charitable work, right, and their affiliation with Christianity. In 1894, Reverend S.G. Smith of the People's Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, organized the first American thrift store, inspired by the Salvation Army shops in London. The Salvation Army was founded in 1865 by a former Methodist minister, William Booth. The Salvation Army provided shelter, food, and work for impoverished people, and in return, they would repair donated materials at factory warehouses. The best members were sent on these missionary pursuits, funded by the profits from the renovated donations. The Salvation Army started its first salvage brigade in the United States from soldiers they sent from England in 1880, first operating out of a basement in a New York men's shelter. In exchange for food and a place to stay, 20 local residents collected scrap paper, home goods, and clothing to resell to scrapyards. Fifteen years later, Reverend Edgar Helms became a Methodist church pastor in Boston's South End, and Helms began various community outreach programs. Eventually, Helms began collecting clothing for women and children in need and started to sell them. Donations increased and the word spread, and in 1902, Helms officially launched Goodwill Industries. By 1935, Goodwill had spread from Boston and established 96 thrift stores around the country. So there's some evidence as early as 1902 with a New York Times article that young people were voluntarily uh, using secondhand shopping as a way to buy more clothes or buy more expressive clothes. It wasn't strictly necessity, in other words, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's still very stigmatized. So as the century wears on and there become cycles of secondhand fashionability. There's the beat generation who very much emphasize the, the want to be perceived as not middle class, right? Uh, there's a quote that Jack Kerouac uses uh, frequently. It says, everything belongs to me because I am poor. Uh, so they, they, they like to kind of try to claim poverty, even though most of the beats weren't really, they're pretty middle class. Uh, and then hippies for environmental reasons and anti-capitalist reasons embrace buying and wearing visibly secondhand clothing, right? So there's, I make a distinction between elective secondhand shopping and, you know, practices that um, since the 18, since the beginning of clothing, really, people who couldn't afford firsthand clothing uh, would buy secondhand clothing, right, for practical reasons. But the fashionability, the voluntary or elective secondhand shopping is a whole different category. So the 50s and 60s sees pockets of this. The 70s, environmentalism plays a part. And then in the late 80s and 90s, grunge really makes it something so fashionable that firsthand designers co-opt a secondhand look, right? By making pre-shredded jeans and retro looking, but newly produced clothing. So this is when you really see a kind of switch. And also when um, the broader benefits of buying secondhand begin to be more questionable. 
Goodwill, as of 2021, has 4,425 storefronts, serving communities of all shapes and sizes. Unlike rumors, Goodwill's commitment is to accessibility rather than aesthetics. Goodwill's mission statement is to enhance people's dignity and quality of life by strengthening their communities, eliminating their barriers to opportunity, and helping them reach their full potential through learning and the power of work. So how, might you ask, does an 18-year-old girl buying a t-shirt that says, you can go to hell, I'm going to Toyotathon, enhance dignity and quality of life? While I can see the quality of life argument there, I think the other elements of Goodwill's mission are behind closed doors, in the back room and the bags of donations. The, I'm bored, let's go to Goodwill text from a friend doesn't seem like an immediately conscious charitable action. But what we found is actually that students here are concerned with quite the opposite. That shopping at Goodwill is actually harmful. And the lack of consciousness behind our decision to do so is maybe the reason why. I think thrifting is an awesome alternative to fast fashion. Um, one thing I would say is that I feel like thrifting was originally for people of low-income communities, so when it becomes a culture, it might be like teenagers kind of taking over and it's less for people that really can't afford fast fashion or don't like have other alternatives. So yeah, I think it's important. It's a good way to like, it's a good way to avoid like fast fashion and stuff, but at the same time we shouldn't be taking away from the people that actually have no other option. I think like the main, the main like ethical dilemma around it is like, should people who can afford to purchase clothes from retailers like in person or online, should they be going to stores like Goodwill where they are kind of like thrifting has become like a trend in like past few years and so they're like artificially inflating the prices for people who otherwise might not be able to afford it. And so like I think the main question is should they be going to these stores and like making the prices higher than they should be. But then I also think the counter argument to that is like there's so like there's such an excess of clothes just in the entire world. Like Goodwill is basically never going to run out of like clothes to be able to donate or like be able to sell from people who donated them and so I think it's definitely important that you try to recycle clothing as much as possible but I don't also think it's necessarily good to be taking away the opportunity from someone who wouldn't be able to afford new clothes. I like personally like to go thrifting a lot um, like half of my wardrobe is thrifted clothing but also I am aware that like a lot more people are going to thrifting and so that is like kind of detriment detrimental to like more low-income families that you know actually need the uh, the service of like thrift stores. Um, so. I think most people know that thrifting is a really good option for people with lower incomes or people that just lost their job and still need to find some clothes. I thrift a lot personally though I'd say I'm pretty privileged when it comes to my socioeconomic class so sometimes I wonder if I should be um, like if I'm taking away from other people's clothes that need it more than I do but I feel like affordable clothes should be available to everyone because no matter how much you're making you could be allocating your money to something better in your life or something better for others. There are two assumptions to unpack here. First, that when affluent people take to the thrift stores, they are buying clothing that is supposed to go to someone else. And that this phenomenon is of significant magnitude. 
Second, that prices are increasing, further encroaching on the accessibility of thrifted clothes. Let's see if we can tackle these together, if we can get to the bottom of the story that is being told that UNC students are taking away from the people of the Triangle area who can't afford to shop elsewhere. I think the first belief to challenge here is that Goodwill is some sort of machine that exists outside of our reality, that they don't know young people are reselling clothing and they're clueless to what items should be worth more. And like if you look at the way that the, that Goodwill's business um, practices have changed since World War II, um, they sell masses of collected clothing overseas in bundles that they don't think will sell here. They differentiate within states even, right? So they'll have giant repositories where they then separate the clothing. They have um, differentiated within stores where they will have the higher price clothing on a rack that's either called designer or boutique, right? I've seen it displayed that way. And that's starting in the 70s, right? That's starting 50 years ago. Um, so I do think they're aware of it. I don't think it's cost efficient for them to be as stringent about those differentiations as the downstream shoppers are being, right? So are they taking advantage of it? Yeah. Are they taking all available clothing out of the hands of those who need it more than them in order to make profit? No, I don't think they are. There's a whole lot of thrown away clothing in this country. Um, still viable, right? Professor Lazat is skeptical of our abilities to buy Goodwill's entire inventory, and so are other UNC students. The United States literally throws away and donates tons of unwanted clothing. Um, I don't feel convinced, and there's not evidence to show that the fashions and details that Gen Z shoppers are buying are encroaching on impoverished adults who maybe want to look more professional. I feel like those are different, maybe sometimes overlapping categories of clothing, but I don't see solid evidence that this wave of Gen Z shopping is driving prices way up, right? I don't think that younger generations shopping are grabbing clothes out of the hands of, um, you know, impoverished people who really want to try to dress in a way that will make them more professionally viable or for their children, etc. I do think that there is enough to go around. Um, I actually worked at a thrift store over the summer. I like sorted through donations that people brought in. And something I noticed was there was a lot of stuff that we had to give away, like a lot. Um, and so I think that thrifting, it, it kind of like changed my perspective as like someone that worked in it rather than someone that just thrifted. Um, I think that the prices of thrifting are going up, which I think really hurts the communities that it's like actually meant for. But I do think that it's not unethical for people to thrift because I think it's like there is so much stuff that people donate and we do already go through so much. Um, so yeah, I think that it's better for like the world to do that. But I think that there is a problem with like the heightened consumption of thrifting, it makes it harder for people that like actually need it to like get clothing. Um, I think that with the recent trend of thrifting being a lot more popular, I think that's a great thing and sometimes people are critical of maybe like people who have more privilege 
thrifting because they're saying like, oh, there might be like less resources for people who actually need it. But um, I think it's never ever a bad thing for people to shop used and we should always encourage that. And I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of things that end up in the thrift stores um, are not actually sold. A lot of it ends up in the landfill and textile pollution is like a really, really big issue. So I think it's never ever a bad thing to encourage people to thrift. Um, no matter what your socioeconomic status is. I was thinking about the trips I used to make to a thrift store near me at home called Unique Thrift. And I don't always find what I'm looking for, which frankly is on me for walking into a thrift store looking for something specific. But I don't think I've ever been to a thrift store where I would have had a problem finding something with the functionality I needed. Right, like let's say I want a pair of pants. Well, I'm looking for a 30 by 30, I want light wash, high-waisted, deep pockets, light distressing on the knees, wider leg, etc, etc. But if I literally need a pair of pants, I would bet that if I drove to the Goodwill on Weaver Dairy Road right now, I could find a pair. But maybe that is a statement of privilege. And maybe it ignores that people who can only afford to shop at Goodwill might need clothing for professional environments, might need a particular size, or might want to satisfy their own taste and style. I feel like um, it's a privilege to thrift because you, to thrift you have to have a lot of extra time, a lot of extra money, and like be able to have the resources to kind of like sift through clothes. Um, and while fast fashion is really bad, it's a privilege to not be able to buy fast fashion because it's cheaper, it's more accessible, it comes to your house. Um, if you have a disability, it's easier to do. Um, and yeah, I think we need to make ethical consumption um, efforts to ethically consume clothes, but I don't think it's like the worst thing in the world if you accidentally buy in Shein because you can't afford, you know, <laughs> the, the locally grown pocketbook that's on the side of the street for $80. As someone who's rather large myself, there's this whole oversized trend uh, where small people or people just like to wear clothes that are two or three sizes bigger and I can't wear a medium <laughs> and I can't find my extra larges and you know there's also like uh, buying stuff to like uh, like over oversized clothing from thrift stores and just like repurposing it or selling it you know like that is great in a sense that it's like you know you're not buying into fast fashion, but it's also, like, severely limiting for, like, people who are, like, you know, bigger and, you know, poor and want to buy clothes that fit them and look nice at thrift stores. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that it's, it's great and, you know, you should keep going thrifting with your friends, but maybe if you can afford to, you know, buy the nice shit that's going to go to thrift stores later, do that instead. These privilege checks are often necessary, but equally as often just subject the class-conscious Gen Z shopper to throw their hands up and shout from the rooftops that there is simply no ethical consumption under capitalism. I believe that fast fashion is only as fast as you make it. Like, I'm gonna wear my shit from H&M for like four years straight. Like, I, I'm not gonna, you know, jip out on it. So I think that um, if there's a way for you to get something that's gonna be more sustainable from a thrift store, and you're not gonna take it away from someone else who might need it, then thrifting, thrifting is totally ethical, very stylish, um, for sure. 
Um, and I guess the biggest deal is there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. So you are just doing your best with the facts that you have, um, and that's all you can say. I, I, I think sometimes phrases like that, while maybe true, are unproductive because you either say, okay, I give up, or I'm going to be so radical, which is also not a sustainable kind of perspective throughout most people's lives, right? I'm going to buy nothing. I'm only going to get what I could get for free or through trade and things like that. I mean, I love clothing swaps, but sometimes you can't sustain yourself on them, right? Um, so if it's a spectrum, maybe be aware of the costs of consumption, the ethical costs, the environmental costs of consumption, um, and that will mitigate the harm, right? If you go into it saying, all right, this is going to be harder. I can't just be driven by my desires, by what catches my eye, but by what I think somebody will think I look cool in. I can be affected by my own, own aesthetic interests, but I might also do some researches at research and make my own personal list of what I think is important. Have some, I'm absolutely not going to buy these brands because I know they contract out to nations that don't pay for fair wages and don't have good safety regulations. Um, even if I'm not giving my money directly to them, I'm giving them free advertising and I'm encouraging uh, primary sales through my secondary purchases. Capitalism is premised on its own increase and its own uh, what uh, the uh, economist Schumpeter called creative destruction, right? So if there's a successful capitalist system like the fashion industry, it has to keep destroying itself and creating a more successful process of consumption. Um, the automotive industry and the fashion industry were the first two industries that really perfected um, planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence is one of the main drivers at escalating capitalist practices, right? So that's like your iPhone stops working at all within five years, right? That's planned obsolescence. They make it so we're going to change the whole system. You can't find a plug for a computer that's six years old. That's planned obsolescence. You have to buy a whole system. That is the central driver of um, capitalism and how that works of modern late capitalism. How that works with fashion is through um, advertisement and playing with people's desires and an escalation of uh, the need for novelty, right? Uh, yeah, fast fashion is kind of crazy. Um, I'm a trans woman and I think so during my transition or when I first started transitioning, I had to like buy a whole new wardrobe, right? Because that's something you have to do because nobody really teaches you how to dress. And it's really difficult to find clothes at first. And so I think like fast fashion sort of preys upon this, like knowing that it is extremely hard for women to find clothes that fit them, whether you're trans or cis or otherwise, like you, you cannot find things that fit you well. And fast fashion just sort of preys upon this by making you buy things, whether they fit or not, and then, you know, sending them to the dumpster. It's, it's kind of whack, yeah. Whereas a hundred years ago, people didn't feel like they needed more than maybe 10 outfits right? Now, many people feel that 10 outfits would be insufficient for their life, that it would be embarrassing, that it would be um, not give you enough variety for everything you wanted to do for working out and, and going to breakfast and lounging around and going to a party and meeting your boyfriend's parents, right? 
all the different categories that we feel like we have to perform a different self for. I like to think about this as doable radicalism. And this comes up a lot when people talk about going vegan. You'll hear this argument, oh, I, I would go vegan. I really would, but I, I just can't give up cheese. I just, I just love cheese so much. Well, then have your cheese, but be vegan the other 99% of the time. And this type of cop-out exists when we're talking about any big system or problem. We have this tendency to think that unless we are doing it in a way that is all or nothing, we aren't doing anything. But it's unrealistic to think that your daily mitigation, especially when we're talking about consumption, can somehow be all or nothing. And there are concerns, but you can do research, you can buy better items of clothing, you can buy less often. In order to abolish capitalism, you might have to take the all or nothing route. But in order to feel good about your purchases and your consumption, you might just have to think a little bit more. It's worth noting that thrifting is still consumption. So when we talk about thrifting as moral or positive, remember that it's probably only positive if we are comparing it to buying from somewhere else. If you're comparing thrifting to just wearing the Urban Outfitters and Lululemon stuff you already have in your closet, there's no call to go out and thrift if you don't actually need anything new. On the flip side, though it seems like thrifting is not a moral problem because it takes away from those in need, there's still another way of secondhand shopping that we've yet to discuss, but UNC students were a little heated about. So I definitely know that with the rise in thrifting and more people doing it, I've seen the issues of like people thrifting things for cheap at Goodwill and then reselling them on Depop for like $50 more or whatever. So that's definitely kind of a dick move on rich people trying to get richer's part. I'm not sure how I totally feel about people whose whole, like, whole company is like thrifting and then selling. Because for example, I bought a Carolina sweatshirt from the 90s, right? Because a friend of mine was like, I'm at a thrift store that's in here, it's $5, you want to get it for him? Like, fuck yes. My friend bought a similar piece for $55 from a resale company. And again, I'm not saying I don't have a business, I'm not saying whatever, but again, I do think there's, and I'm not sure what my position is, but there's some ethical implications of marking up something by 100% and selling it when, again, if you're not going to just buy it and use it, other folks really do need that that uh, opportunity. I enjoy thrifting. I, However, I don't like when people go to thrift stores and buy all the cute stuff and then resell them at a higher price. I mean, yeah, I get everybody's got their own hustle or whatever, but I just feel like, you know, it's there for a reason. Something I don't like about thrifting culture is the whole, like, Depop resellers and stuff like that, like people that thrift these clothes and then sell them for like tons of extra money just for a quick buck when there's some people out there that really need um, to buy the clothes cheaper and more affordable. Um, I don't know. I've never been like a super, like I've never been on this wave of like, you know, thrifting as like fashion. I think thrifting is good for the environment. That's really my only perspective on it. I don't know. I kind of get icky about this like resale business. I know a lot of people do it and a lot of people are good about it but like it just kind of gets icky you know because it started as like a you know thrifting has always been a thing for lower income people and so seeing people who like are really wealthy take that and make an industry out of it like its own cottage industry is like 
I don't know. I don't know, though. But I think it's better than obviously buying from, like, whoever. Like, Shein, like, don't buy from them, please. It's really bad. The biggest thing for me, though, is that um, when it comes to that issue in thrifting, that um, I just think it's really gross that people buy shit and then resell it for a higher price online. Like, that is just straight up fucked up. Um, why are you doing that? How? What kind of work are you putting into that item to make it, like you know, cost more and to take it away from people could, who could actually need it. Like, that's kind of ridiculous. The online reselling business has exploded in recent years with the rise of Depop, an online marketplace typically used for secondhand shopping. Now, early Depop sellers used the platform to make a few bucks from their own closets, similar to Facebook Marketplace, Poshmark, or eBay where people sell things that they already have and just don't want anymore. But Depop has witnessed its sellers morph from cleaning out their closets to cleaning out the local Goodwill. And Depop has been under fire on social media, mainly TikTok, for a while, as sellers have been targeted with questions about their sourcing, especially when their items seem to be purchased secondhand, rather than pre-worn by the seller themselves. While this may not inherently be a problem, UNC students called it out for feeling a little icky when the Carhartt pants with a hole in the crotch seam are listed for $150. And there has been a lot said elsewhere online about reselling. So for our purposes, the question I want to pose is, is there anything inherently wrong with reselling thrifted items for a 300% markup if someone buys them. There are probably millions of items listed on Depop at any given time that are garnering zero interest, that might not sell for months or might not sell ever. If I come across the most perfect pair of Levi's jeans I've ever seen, they're listed as vintage and they're $199, I can offer the seller $50 and message them begging them to lower the price. They can decide to try to compromise with me, or they can just wait for the next buyer using their parents' credit card. At the end of the day, it's up to me and the seller to come to an agreement. So when I press buy and put in my billing information, I'm not being held at gunpoint. I am deciding to spend my money on the item. No matter how painful it may be, I don't really know if I can complain. Because in a capitalist system, if there's a buyer and there's a seller, there's going to be a sale. And on the free market that is Depop, the terms of that sale are up to no one except buyer and seller. Plus, if I didn't want to spend $200 on my jeans, I could have gone to Salvation Army myself and found a pair. Assuming, of course, the local Depop girl didn't buy all of them. And in fact, this is usually how vintage resellers rationalize their prices. Aside from items that are really rare or brands that are normally expensive, you are paying for the labor someone else expended to find that item. Their five hours at Goodwill equates to your extra $180. But again, they also don't need to rationalize their prices if people are paying them. The next inevitable morning when you wake up and try to get dressed and to claim to your roommate, I have nothing to wear. Think about what that statement means and what you can do about it. 
Thrift Flipped might be able to help you repurpose your wardrobe and upcycle old items. Goodwill can take your donations and you risk the items being resold online or going to someone who needs them. Or you can sell them yourself on Depop and make extra money. Or you can just keep them and buy new shit. Everything is a decision, and as overwhelming as that may be, it seems like a helpful starting point for young people who are trying to navigate a world where things like inequality and exploitation are clouding our Instagram feeds. Our consumption is probably not the place to be all or nothing. So the next best option might just be being thoughtful. As you go on with the rest of your day, ask yourself what goes through your mind when you look for a new piece of clothing to add to your closet. What actions do you take in your consumption that impact those around you? How conscious are you of the way you shop and the realistic change you can make? How much do your actions line up with your values? And as always, how can you use your perspective for good? Thanks for listening to this episode of Pit Perspectives. I'd like to thank Marche Weish for sharing her story with us and Professor Jennifer Lazat for her insights into the world of thrifting. Check out her book, Goodwill to Grunge, linked in the description. Lastly, I'd like to thank Jesse Ainsley for custom music for today's episode. For full credits, check the description below, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at pitperspectivesunc for future information about recording dates and times, future episodes, and any and all updates. Thanks again, and we will see you in the pit.